the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentanko will be here in just a moment with today's message. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Well, due to the evolving situation with the pandemic, we currently cannot invite you to visit us in person at the worship service, but would like to invite you to a live stream from the church held each Saturday at 11 o'clock. You can go to reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video to watch that stream. And we'll let you know when that changes. Well, we are still in the Genesis series, and we are up to a message today entitled Babylon 2. That's Babylon 2. You can find this message online at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the Genesis series, or you can find it also under the current broadcasts. But due to our time constraints, we're only able to bring you the first portion here on the radio, but we're happy to do that and excited to do that. And here is Pastor Michael Oxentanko. Dear Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Without him, we have nothing. We go nowhere. With Christ, we are someone and we are people of importance and we go to your kingdom. Father, thank you that you have, through grace, transported us from an evil, vain age that makes no sense to the light of the Holy Spirit and the coming grace that is part of our experience today that we have a future and a hope in Jesus. Father, for the person who came here today wondering deep inside if you really care about them, Lord, as we open the Bible, may it be revealed to them that you do indeed care, that you are close to them in Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name, amen. Now in the Bible, to understand someone's name means you have come to know them well. The science is in. It's absolutely in. Human beings, believe it or not, are not the only creatures on earth that can recognize each other's name. We know that to be true. The research was conducted by Vincent Janik at the Sea Mammal Research Unit at St. Andrews University, and what he discovered is absolutely stunning. It has been known for years that bottlenose dolphins have an uncanny ability to memorize sounds, especially in their earlier developmental years of life. Mr. Janik and his team of researchers showed that dolphins have a unique whistle sound that is specific to that individual dolphin. It's like a signature that defines who they are. And the whistle appears in the first few months of life and it stays with the dolphin for the rest of its life. They recorded the whistles of many dolphins, many bottlenose dolphins, and then they played them back so that they could be heard by other dolphins. Here is what they found. They found that dolphins responded to the whistle signature of dolphins that they were close to of kin. They did not respond to the whistle signature of dolphins they were not related to. So dolphins know the names of their relatives. They know each other by name. They call each other by name. That is now undeniable proof that dolphins, like human beings, can recognize a name of a loved one. When Adam was created, he was given the ability to communicate with animals and give them a name. It's amazing. In fact, I believe that Adam had 
telepathic abilities. He could read the mind of his dog. Probably wasn't all that profound a thought pattern, but he could read the mind of his dog. He could probably communicate directly with the animal kingdom. He could summon the birds to land on his shoulder. He could call the dolphin to come to him from the sea and then ride its back and then send it away. I mean, this is very likely the kind of ability Adam had. But we do know he gave them all a name. Genesis 2.19 So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is that animals can respond to their own name. The bad news is they don't respond very well to us anymore. And I have proof of this. I have a dog named Avalanche. He knows his name. He knows I know his name. I call him, and when I call him, he goes the other way. Now, I had a very embarrassing situation with him Memorial Day weekend. We were out at Liberty Reservoir fishing with my sons, and my wife was walking the dog, and I called to my dog, Avalanche, Avalanche, come, and he'd just run the other way. But I noticed that when my wife called him, he would wag his tail, he'd turn around, come with her, and walk right beside her. Now, I think what happened in the fall was that this wonderful ability that Adam had was transferred to the ladies, and so they can communicate with the animals better than we can. Now, but Jesus Christ, as the second Adam, believe it or not, possessed this kind of ability. We have evidence of this in the Bible. In Mark 1.13, we know that he was in the desert with the wild animals. He had no problem moving around them. He was the beast master, so to speak. In Luke 5 and John 21, I mean, it's no accident that Christ is out there and as he's watching the disciples, he says, throw the net this way. And the fish leap into the net because he had the ability to tell them to come to the net and they listened to him. He was the beast master and they knew his name. He knew them by name. The most important name, though, that you can know in the book of Genesis in the Bible is not the name of an animal. It's not the name of a person. It's the name of God. And that's the name we're going to focus on today. If you know the meaning of God's name, you can communicate with God and have a relationship with God, and your relationship will be centered and fixed for all time and eternity. God revealed the divine name to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 2, verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, verse 4 very clearly shows us what God's name is. It says, Lord God. And we've looked at this before in our series in the book of Genesis. And we noticed that the first word, Lord, has all capital letters. L-O-R-D, all caps, followed by God with a capital G, then a small o and small d. You will notice that in God's name, there are two names. Now, how many of you in your name have at least two names? Raise your hand. Okay, half of you don't have names, do you? Alrighty, too bad for you. Now let's focus on those of you who have names. How many names do you have? You may have three. How many of you have four or five names? Raise your hand. Some of you have four. Four? Pat, how many? Four? Five? Four. Four names. Anyone have more than four? The Romans would have these long names. Now notice God has two names here in the Garden of Eden. A first name, a last name. We have the same thing today, don't we? Michael Oxentanko. Most of us have two names. Now which name of the two that you have is the one that is the most personal that you use the most? Is it the last name or the first name? It's the first name, isn't it? 
And so we find that God's first name comes in your English Bible with all capital letters because that is the most important name in the Bible for you to have. God's first name is spelled L-O-R-D, as I said, with all capital letters. It is called the Tetragrammaton. The divine name is composed of four Hebrew consonants. The Y here stands for the Hebrew yod. The H stands for the Hebrew letter He. The W, the letter Vav, and then the He again repeated. The Tetragrammaton. And this name, scholars have debated about over the centuries. In fact, the Jews were so afraid that the third commandment would be violated that they lost the meaning of it. And whenever they encountered this name, they would take the vowels of another word called Adonai and they would put it in there and they would come up with something that sounds like Yehovah. But they wouldn't say that. They would just say Adonai. They knew to substitute that word for the word Adonai, which means Lord. So we really don't know how to pronounce this word. The vowels have been lost. Now, scholars have a very good idea how it was pronounced. The closest approximation we have is something like Yahweh. Say it with me. Yahweh. Yahweh. That is the most holy name that can be uttered in the universe. Yahweh. And so we shall never take this name in vain. This name should never be treated with emptiness in our life. We should never forget its divine meaning and importance as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. It is the focus of the entire plan of salvation. What has happened to the divine name? So the question arises, what does this name mean? At the burning bush, God shared with Moses the partial meaning of his name. Take your Bibles, turn to Exodus 3. Let's look at verse 13 and follow it down. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now that's a good question, isn't it? He wanted to know what God's name was. And notice that God gives him an answer in verse 14. Somewhat cryptic, but nonetheless an answer. God said to Moses, I am who I am. How do you like that answer? And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now that's not exactly what Moses was expecting. Now look at verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. So in verse 15, we find the name Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters. He says, This is my name. It means I am, or I am who I am. Now, that doesn't say a whole lot, does it? How many of you kind of knew God existed anyway? That doesn't sound like any great revelation. Why would God tell Moses at the burning bush, by the way, I'm here, I exist. The Lord or Yahweh means I am, but in and of itself, that's not enough meaning. Isaiah fills in the gap. Turn to Isaiah 52.6. Now, Isaiah tells us that this expression, I am, or God's name, is really an idiom that means a little more than that. Therefore, my people shall know my name, God says. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. I am here, or here am I. You see, I am means more than I am. I am means I am here. God's name is not just a statement of His existence. God's name is a statement, a charter of His purpose for your life. God's name means I am here for you. That's what Isaiah is trying to say. Now, the divine name Yahweh means I'm here. Now, if I am 
only means I exist, then God is a self-centered being that doesn't care about you. But Isaiah puts the meaning into the phrase, I am here means I care about you. Now turn to Isaiah 65 verse 1. Here we have it again. He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, or I am here. I am here to a nation that did not call on my name. You see, when you call on the name of the Lord, it means God is there. There's no other way to connect with God than simply calling on His name. God's name means that God can be found because God finds you. God's name means that God is close and caring when you feel like He is far and unconcerned. God's name means that when you are lost and when you are down and when you are pounded by life circumstances, when you feel alienated by God, that God has a way through the power of His name coming to you where you are at in life's highway and finding you before the tractor hits you and rolls you over and picks you up and He carries you on eagle's wings. God's name means God can find you, dear heart, in the lost places of life. It's a fact of faith that God feels far away, though, when you sin and fall. Have you ever made a big mistake in your life? You know, you knew God wanted you to do something, you didn't do it. And you ended up feeling like God was a mile, a hundred miles away from you and you just couldn't connect with Him. I have. You ever felt that way? Okay, you can roll your heads up and down without censure. Because if you have walked with God, you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have all failed God, so we have all struggled with this feeling at times. And since God's name means I am here, then I am here is more important when you have let God down than when things are going good. Is that not true? If God is not there when you need Him to restore you as a sinner, then God's presence really is not good news. But God is there for you when you fail and fall. So Moses asked God to reveal His name to him. Now there's a context of that request. I mean, the golden calf story has just occurred in Exodus 32. Israel made all those promises in Exodus 24. All that you have said in those Ten Commandments, we will do. And within 40 days, they're dancing around a golden calf. They let God down severely. And so it looks like God's glory will break through and destroy them. At the bottom of their barrel, when they have failed God miserably... Moses asks God to reveal his name. And God says, I'll do it. Exodus 33, 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now there it is, all capital letters again. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. It sounds like I am who I am. I will show mercy on whom I want to show mercy. I am who I am. You see, God is saying that the meaning of His name is most important when you have fallen and failed in your life. The meaning of His name is most relevant to you when you cannot pick yourself up because the fall has been severe for you. But here He says, I am who I am. It means I am merciful when I want to have mercy. Exodus 34, 5-7, God continued, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Slow to anger, gracious, merciful, forgiving, loving, God's name is rooted in God's character. God's name means He is there for you. So let's summarize very briefly. Soak in the meaning here. 
I am means I am here. I am here means I am merciful. I am merciful means I forgive you, not because of you, but because of me, because of my name. Now, is it good news that we know the name of the Lord, yes or no? That's good news, isn't it? And so we find that the name of the Lord is so important in our walk with God. When you fail and falter, you need his name. Now, when God created Adam and Eve, he revealed to them his name. He didn't leave it up for them to guess it, which meant that they were kin of God. They knew him as father and friend. But the serpent in Genesis 3.1 stepped in to stop all that. He came to Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Twelve times this divine name, Yahweh, had been used with the word God, first name and last name. He came to the tree, and in Genesis 3.1, he said, Did God say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He left out that name. Well, hang in there. We will get underway again here in just a moment with Pastor Michael Oxen Tanko. As I reminded you at the beginning of our program today, our live services where you can attend in person are currently on hold due to the current situation. But that could change soon, so stay tuned here for news on that. In the meantime, we are streaming a live service from the church that you can watch online at reachinghearts.org video. That's reachinghearts.org video. If you have any questions about today's message, you can visit reachingyourheart.com. A copy of this message is available there in case you missed any part of it, as well as reachingyourheart.com lets you know about other things that are happening with this radio broadcast. Let's continue now with Babylon 2. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Here once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. He said, I don't care about that name. I don't want to even let it come on my lips. And so he referred to God as God. Eve then followed along with the idea. She bought into the words, and the divine name dropped out of her mind and out of her mouth, and she said, God said, you shall not eat or even touch anything. No Yahweh on the serpent's tongue. No Yahweh on Eve's tongue either. And when Adam and Eve forgot the divine name, they forgot God was close to them. They forgot God's presence. And when they lost God's presence, they lost God and obedience, and all that follows. They sinned and they failed. It's a spiritual principle that you cannot overcome as a believer unless you call on the name of the Lord and you rely upon His presence for power in your life. Now, how many of you like to call on the name of the Lord today? Me too. I just want to call on His holy name right now for you and ask that in your life that the close love of God, the personal love of God, would be revealed to you today. Adam had a son named Seth. Seth had a son named Enosh, which means mortal man. And the Bible is very clear in Genesis 4.26 that when Seth's son Enosh was born, which means weak or mortal man, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now we know in Genesis 6.4, in retrospect, that these people at the line of Seth who called on the name of the Lord stopped calling on the name of the Lord. They became known as sons of God rather than sons of Yahweh. They forgot the meaning of the divine name. But there's a little footnote in Genesis 6-4. It says, these used to be or were the mighty men that were of old. And then it says in the Hebrew, and Shehashem, men of the name, not men of renown. They used to be known as men and women who called on the name of the Lord. But they stopped being mighty even though they were weak because they stopped calling on God's name. Noah was the last man on earth who recognized the meaning of the divine name. He was the last man on earth who sought forgiveness and grace in God's name. Noah was a man who 
did not let go of this ancient truth, who kept a close relationship with God. And how do we know this really occurred? We know it because of the names that he gave to his sons. Genesis 6, 8, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we know within that immediate context that he named his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham means heat. Japheth means he opens. But Shem literally means name. The name. The man who was the last person on earth who had a relationship with God that was sound was the person who named his son the name because the ancient faith must never die. The ancient faith must be reborn in a new generation. So he named his son after the divine name. Shem received the birthright and the blessing in Genesis 9.26. Now, if you look at this name that we found in Genesis chapter 1-3, to we find that the word Lord God is used as God's name in the Garden of Eden quite freely. But after Eden, it's not used until right here in Genesis 9.26. It says, So Noah also said, Blessed by the Lord my God, Yahweh Elohim, Lord God, be Shem and let Canaan be his slave. The line of Shem means the line of the name. It's the line whereby the knowledge of God the Creator, the knowledge of the loving nature of God preserved in that tetragrammaton, Yahweh, the name, would be preserved, would come to us, would eventually bring Jesus Christ who is the name as the Savior of the world, as God in human flesh. So the struggle for this divine name is in fact the context and the setting for the story of the Tower of Babel. You really cannot understand what's happening in Genesis 11 unless you pay close attention to the development that brings you to the claim made by the Babel Tower Builders in Genesis 11. Before we do that, I'd like to draw your attention to Genesis 10 verse 8. In Genesis 10.8, the city of Babel was built by the great hunter Nimrod. And Nimrod's name in Hebrew is derived from the word for rebellion. He founded the kingdom of Babel, which in fact is the first empire of rebellion since the flood. It says, Cush became the father of Nimrod. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, and Akkad, all of them in the land of Shinar. So Nimrod was the first king of Babylon 1. Take your Bibles now. Turn to Genesis 11, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the whole earth had one language and few words, and men migrated from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now notice the language of verse 4. It really contains the key points we will focus on. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Earth. Now look at the very first part of verse 4. Do you see where it says, let us? You see that? Now where have we seen that in the book of Genesis? Who has said that before in the book of Genesis? Genesis 1, 26. Isn't that what God said when he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness? These tower builders are doing more than building towers. They are playing God. They are using the language of creation and they are the God in their minds and their story. Let us build means we will do what God cannot do. We will create our own future and destiny. Now there's a little bit of Babel in all of us if we're really honest about it. Have you ever said that yourself? I'm in charge of my life. I know where I'm going. I'm the one who maps out my own course. I speak my future into existence. You ever said that? You've got to be careful with that. You can't do one thing without God's leading your life. You can't move one step forward unless 
God is the one who leads you, or it's nothing but a tower that comes down in the end. There's a little bit of Babel in all of us. The Babel builders had three specific goals in mind in Babylon 1, in the creation of that tower city scenario. Goal number one, the text says they set out to build a city. Now, in the book of Genesis, Cain was the first man to build a city. He named it after his son Enoch, which means inauguration. So he dedicated it to his son. So like Cain, the Babel builders here don't build a city for God. They build a city for themselves. They build it for their own name, their own future, their own greatness. So goal number one represents goals without guidance. It represents plans without spiritual purpose. It represents a future that you map out without God being the reason for that future. What a contrast to Abraham. Hebrews 11.8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive. Verse 10, For he looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Direct difference between the faith of Abraham and what we find here at the Tower of Babel. Goal number two, they set out to erect a tower that would reach into the heavens. Now, most scholars agree that this tower was what they call a ziggurat. The word ziggurat comes from the word zahar, which means to remember. It was a place where people would remember you by. Long after you were gone, they'd look at what you did. And they'd say, hi, isn't this impressive? Look what he left behind. A ziggurat was a step mound that was made to look like a mountain. It was constructed in stages that had an altar on the top. In the ziggurats that were discovered in ancient Babylon, we find six-degree components in the construction of this tower. At the altar on the top, they hoped to meet God. They would sacrifice right up there at that shrine on the top of that step mound. And they believed that the gods would meet them high up on the top of the mountain that they had built. Well, thanks for listening. We need to leave it there for the first portion of Babylon 2. Please join us again next time when we get together. Otherwise, you can find this message online at reachingyourheart.com. Don't forget that the worship service is actually being streamed and we're not able to be there in person. We have to be there virtually, at least until this is all over with. But in the meantime, you can go to reachinghearts.org slash video, reachinghearts.org slash video, And watch a virtual service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. Thanks for listening, and as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.